I want to thank you as a congregation for sending us. It was uh, an amazing three months, not four. (laughs) I would have stayed four, but I wasn't wasn't on this trip. Uh, We we got into four major cities. We we spent time with pastors and, and different congregations. And um, let me get my notes up here. There we go. All right. Uh, we we participated with nine different churches and ministries. Um, we were in Krivoy Rog, which is in the middle of Ukraine. Uh, we spent most of our time there, but we also got into Kiev, which is the capital of Ukraine, and we got into Moscow. Um, and we got in. We were in Odessa. Um, God opened so many doors. That was our 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 understanding in going this trip. Is is we were just looking for God to open doors into different places, and He did. Uh, we preached. We taught. Ministered to people. We built relationships. We ministered with orphans. Um, we worked with pastors. We worked with worship teams. Um, it was it was truly. An amazing three months. <laughs> For those of you who know me, <laughs> you know that this happens. <laughs> um, but there's a <sighs> there's a fire burning in me right now. <sighs> two two quick highlights. In our time in in Krivoy Rog, we uh, God opened the door. It was clearly His His divine di- divine directing and into a, a group of churches called the Houses of Bread. And in this church, they they asked us to come in and work with their worship teams. They had heard of they were they were they they had heard of this idea of bringing worship and intercession together, and they were trying it and and they were kind of stuck. And so they asked us to come in and just talk to their worship teams and, and train them and help them with it. And uh, so we met with them and it was, it was just a, a most amazing time. And, and, and the words we had, the, the, the demonstration we gave them and then having them join us and do it, it just lit them on fire. They were having a, a daily prayer meeting from 9 till 10, Monday through Friday. And you know, they have a worship team singing for part of it, and then they would pray. And, and, and that's good. I'm, you know, I'm, I was so happy to hear that. But they, when they asked us to come in and lead it for a little while. And when we were able to show them how you can marry the music, the worship, with the prayer, and the singers begin to agree in prayer through song, it just changed that church. And um, you know, from that little prayer meeting, they the desire that that, I, that rose up within them was that that they could take that into their church meetings, and they have like twenty or thirty some congregations as part of this group. And they they I just what I saw was our willingness to go and just bring 
a little bit of the message that God has given us began to change an entire church structure to, to draw into a place of, of intimate worship and prayer that, that they hadn't really experienced yet. Um, the other highlight that I want to talk about briefly is we, um, we got connected with the Orthodox Church. Now, the Orthodox Church in the Slavic countries, Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, and other places, is very dead, just, just plain dead. They've, they have lost much of the gospel. Ninety percent of the population will consider themselves Orthodox. Ninety percent of the priests in the Orthodox Church are not saved. They cannot, if they have someone come to them and say, how do I get to heaven? They'll shrug their shoulders and say, I don't know. Come to church a couple times a week. Light some candles. Pray for your relatives. That's their only answer. And when they go to their superiors and say, I'm struggling with this. What am I supposed to do? The answer is, well, drink a glass of vodka each night. That will help. We met with this Orthodox priest. He's, he has initiated a reform, reformation within the Orthodox Church. He has laid aside praying to the icons. He's laid aside praying for the dead. He's laid aside praying to everybody except Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator. There is no other mediator. And that is the message he's, he's trying to bring back into the Orthodox world. There is no other mediator. And so when you consider that 90% of that region doesn't know Jesus, it is a huge harvest field waiting for the gospel, waiting for a true knowledge of who Jesus is. Now, I want to pray. Father, I just ask you, I would ask today, God, according to the prayer that Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, that you would grant to us your spirit of wisdom and revelation this morning. Holy Spirit, you who search the very heart of God and reveal what's deep inside of him for us, we ask you come and open our eyes to know Jesus more. We want to know who he is. We want to know what he thinks of us. We want to know his great power for us. Father, I ask this morning, as you take my weak words, would you by your spirit pierce hearts this morning? Penetrate our hearts, God, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I began to see a number. It was constantly showing up. I'd see it on my clock. I'd see it on my car clock. 
I'd see it on receipts. I would see it on my phone. I would see it on license plates. And I'd look at that number. Well, that number is kind of important to me. It happens to be November 6th, my birthday. Okay? And I, and I, I would look at this number and i go, what's with this? And I started asking God. I said, what? Why am I seeing this? And he put a question in my heart. The day you were born, why were you born? Why were you born? And so I began to pursue that question. I wanted to know what it is you're showing me, God. What, what is it that, that you created me for? Now, okay, I was in my late 40s. I'd lived a lot of life already. I'd had three careers already. I had my kids. We were married. You know, grandchildren were beginning to show up. Why was I born? Am I, you know, is there something more that I need to, to seek out here? As I began to, to ask that question, I had to ask another question. Why did you create humanity? So I began to talk with the Holy Spirit. And I began to ask him a lot of questions. And of course, the answer to who I am and why I was born always has to go back to who is God. And I began to search him out more. Now, I've been a believer for many years. I'm, I think... 45 plus years now. And so I've, I've had a lot of experience with God. I've, I, I know his word pretty well, although I, every time I open it, I realize how little I know it. Um, but I began to, to stare at him. He's majestic. You know, what Paul did. <laughs> As you guys called out who Jesus was, it was just such a, you didn't know what I was talking about. But to know Jesus, and begin to, to begin to stare at who he is. He's majestic. He's the almighty one. He's glorious. He's the creator. He's savior. He's the prince of peace. He's infinite. No beginning, no end. In Psalm 113, it says, Who, who is like Yahweh, our God? There is no one. Who compares to him? And I began to, to, to you know, renew within myself the, the, the magnificence, the beauty, the majesty of who God was. He's eternal. And I began to think about God in eternity, before creation. And, and you know, this boggles our mind. We really can't comprehend this. We can't, we can't comprehend eternity. We're finite. But I began to think about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit eternally in this amazing community of fellowship. Think about it. You have perfect love. You have perfect communication. There's no disagreement whatsoever. It's an amazing unimaginable friendship. It's it, it just, you know, you think about your own friendships. 
We don't have anything that compares to that. You know, we long for, but we just, we can't get there. Our best friends will disappoint us. Our spouses will hurt us. But the, but the fellowship of God is just unimaginable. It's perfect, perfectly holy, perfect communication. Just imagine this perfect love constantly flowing between them. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Father. The Father loving the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Son, the Son loving the Father. It's just, it's, it's more than just an idea. It, if we can touch this reality of who he is and the fellowship he has, it's just, it's like, God, who are you? And the more, the more I stared at that, the more, the tinier and tinier and tinier I, I felt. You don't need me, God. God needs nothing. He's totally whole within himself. And as I looked at him, in comparison to who he is, I am but a speck of dust. then well David agrees with this in Psalm 8 he says when I consider the heavens the works of your fingers the moon the stars which you've ordained what is man that you even think about him what is the son of man that you even care for him who am I God why would you create me why that psalm goes on and says, you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with majesty and glory. It's like, what? I'm a speck of dust, but there's something, there's a reason you made me, there's a reason you created me. And I believe that out of this communion, this absolute perfect communion that God has, arose a divine desire to bring others into that fellowship. This is, this is, I've said this before and I've thought it before, but it's like, we have to understand, this is mind-boggling. This is amazing that God has a desire for you and me to be part of his fellowship. When he created the, the world, we're told he planted a garden and he created man and he, he created that garden for man and he placed man in that garden and he walked with them every day. They talked. They had fellowship. It was a friendship. It wasn't just master-slave. It was a friendship. God had created Adam in his own image for the purpose of having fellowship. And that garden was a place of intimate friendship. And then something terrible happened. 
that friendship was broken. It was shattered. Now, I am so glad that God was not surprised by that. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew exactly what was going to happen. It was in his heart to have a people created in his image who would love him. And he knew that they would reject him. And that relationship was shattered. But he also knew that, that the only way for that relationship to be restored was for his son to become a man to lay down his life, to, to pay the penalty for that, our sin, to, to restore that relationship. Now, God was grieved. We're told just before the flood that God was grieved over man. Some, sometimes we look at that and we think he was, he was sorry that he made man. It was a mistake. God does not make mistakes. But he was grieved over the, the millions of hearts that he created to love him that would reject him. Paul tells us in Romans, Romans 5, we were enemies of God. But Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, reconciled us. What does reconcile mean? It's a relational statement. It means to bring the friendship back together. To restore the relationship. We were created for this relationship. Sin shattered that relationship. And Jesus became the only way to restore that relationship. Sometimes, when we talk about this, we hear the you know we we hear the the phrase that you know I'm a dirty rotten sinner, and Christ died for me, so that I could not go to hell, but I could go to heaven, and that's true. But there's so much more to it. We weren't just saved to escape hell. We weren't just saved to sit in a corner of heaven and have a nice little fishing hut on the edge of eternity. Why did Jesus die? In Hebrews 12, we're, we're told, it says, despising the shame because of the joy set before him. He endured the cross. I had to. I started asking, "What is that joy? Is it? Are you? Is it the joy of returning to the Father? Maybe." But then I, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper to me. He said, "The joy that was set before him was you."
as Jesus faced that cross, he wasn't looking at the cross. He was looking at you. He was looking at the joy that would fill his heart when that, when that friendship, that relationship was restored. And when we would, could be reconciled. We read the parables of the pearl, the great price, and the hidden treasure. And oftentimes we're taught that Jesus is the pearl of great price. That he is the great treasure. And we, we should give up everything for that. And that's okay. I think that's valid. But as I study those passages, I think a more accurate way to look at it is that you are the pearl of great price. That you were the great treasure that Jesus gave up everything for. You are his greatest treasure. You are his greatest desire. You are his inheritance. In Psalm 2, the Father tells Jesus, he says, Ask of me and I will give you the nations, the people, as your inheritance. Now, inheritance is something of great value. It's not just stuff. In God's eyes, the people he created for his son is his inheritance. And in Ephesians 1, 17, where Paul prays for the church that our eyes would be open to know the glory that is in the inheritance in the saints. When Jesus looks at you, he sees a glorious inheritance. He sees something he wants. He sees a, a, a relationship that he died to restore. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk with him. You know, compared, when we compare ourselves to God, we are but dust. But when God looks at you, he sees somebody he wants. He sees... <laughs> he sees a heart. He says, I want that person with me. In John 17, Jesus prayed, Father, I want them. It's my desire. It's the longing of my heart that they would be with me where I am. You are his rose of Sharon. You are his lily of the valley. Jesus prays in John 17, 3, he said, Father, this is eternal life, that they would know you and they would know me. That's not just facts. This is a knowledge that goes way beyond facts. This is a knowledge that comes through real relationship. Can you just, when we think about this amazing, magnificent God, and he wants you to know him. This is mind-boggling. It it's just beyond comprehension that God wants me to know him. God doesn't need me, but he wants me. God doesn't need you, 
but he wants you. Remember that fellowship I talked about, this, this amazing communion with God, with the, with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? We are told the three different places, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 1 John 1, 3, that our fellowship is with the Father and, and with the Son and with the Spirit, that we are invited into that place of communion with him. Jesus died for it. We were created to be in that place. Now, let's get a little practical. It doesn't happen overnight. How do we come into this place of fellowship with him? It takes time. It takes time. It doesn't, you know, we can't just say, well, 10 minutes before I die, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time and get to know God. Or I'll just wait until I die, and then I'm going to have eternity to get to know God. That's not what it's about. Hebrews 11.6, God rewards those who diligently seek him. He saved us to know him. He created us to know him. And so what do I do? I start here. I always start here. God revealed himself in this book. You know, This is the most critical thing we can do to get to know him. But it's more than just reading the words on the page. I can read a history book and say that I know Abraham Lincoln because I know a bunch of facts about him. In the same way, people can read this book and say, I know God because I know a bunch of facts about him. I have a great theology. You know, God is immutable. Whatever that means. But the Pharisees knew this book. Jesus said, you search this book looking for, because you think there's eternal life in there. But I am standing right before you and you're missing me. We need this book. We need to know this book. We, but we, we look in this book, we read this book to find out who God is. And then we start a conversation with him. In the beginning was the word. What on earth is that? The word was with God. The word was God. He's not talking about the pages. He's talking about the man, Jesus. I want to know the word, and I want to know the word. It's, it, I start dialoguing. I start a conversation with him. So as, you know, as I'm reading, I go, the Lord reigns. He's clothed in majesty. What does that look like? What does it look like when you're clothed in majesty? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. 
You were seated on your throne in glory. And in an instant, you were a cluster of cells within the womb of Mary. Who are you, God? How is that? That is something that the more you dwell on it, the more impossible it becomes. Because our brain cannot comprehend the, the eternal the eternal God becoming flesh like us. But it's the conversation. That's where the relationship is. I begin to talk with him about what he says. I begin to talk about how he's revealed himself. And I keep asking questions and, I, and he answers me. I hear him talk to me through his word. He sends me to another passage. See, there it is. There's the, that's, there's the answer to your question. Or I hear him whisper to me. Sometimes I'll have a dream that just answers the question. It's like, whoa, okay, I got it now. But it's a conversation. And you know what? This conversation is what is called prayer. Sometimes we struggle. Oh, I got to pray, I got to pray. But our, the conversation, prayer is just a conversation with him. And if you start talking to him about what he said in his, in his book, if you start talking about him, about what is, what's in your heart today, Jesus? What are you thinking about? That's the conversation. And it's a two-way conversation. This is a relationship. God reconciled us. He reconciled that relationship through Jesus. And he calls us back into this relationship. Now the relationship is not with the words of this book. The relationship is with the word, Jesus. I began to pray. And I said, God, I want to know you. I want to know you in every way that you will reveal yourself to me. It's been an amazing journey. But I tell you, that can be a risky prayer. There were things that I was not ready for. But he's the almighty God. He's a meek God. He's the one with eyes like fire. He's a faithful witness. He's my provider. I wanted to know him as my provider. And guess what? He said, okay. Quit your job. Now, I'm not saying that to tell you to do that, okay? That's a conversation you have to have with God. I'm, I'm not telling you that. I'm just saying what he told me, okay? He's the king of glory. He's the bridegroom. He's a bridegroom king who's coming back for his bride. And as a bridegroom king, he's jealous over the heart of his bride. He's jealous over that relationship he died for. He's just, but he's full of grace and mercy. He's my shepherd. His leadership in my life is perfect. These are all ways that I want to know him. I don't want to just read about him and say, yes, he's my shepherd. 
I want to experience him as my shepherd. I want to know him. I want to, I want to have that conversation and have him lead me. I want, I want to have him lead me. Even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death. And I've been there. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know what he's thinking. And the Bible says that his thoughts about me, his thoughts about you, are more than the sand. I don't know if you've ever considered that. But the number of grains of sand upon this earth, we cannot even comprehend. And his thoughts towards you and me are innumerable. I want to know some of those thoughts. What are you thinking about me, God? And believe me, Sometimes when he shares those thoughts, it will overwhelm you. It will overwhelm you because he's an infinite God. And he put drops one of those thoughts in your heart, your little tiny, finite heart. How do we contain that? Paul, Apostle Paul talks about this reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. And he says this, we have been reconciled through Christ. And Paul says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says, on behalf of Christ, I beg you, I beg you, be reconciled. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have already been saved, but they haven't begun to walk into the reason that Christ died for them. To restore that relationship, to, to have that intimate communion with him, to come to know him in every way that he will let you know him. Now today, I, I, there may be people in this room probably is, who have never repented, who have never said, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you. I need you as my Savior. This relationship is here waiting for you. And I beg you. I beg you. It's in the heart of Jesus that you be reconciled. And for, the, for, for most of you who know Jesus in some way, you've, you've said yes. And we're all in different places in our relationship with him. But I echo the heart of Jesus for you. I beg you, go after this relationship. It is the reason that you were created. If you're looking for a reason of why you're on this planet, this is the reason. You were, you were created. You were born to know God. You were born to know Jesus. This 
is eternal life, to know the Father and to know the Son. You were born for this. You were born to know God and to be with him forever. It is the greatest privilege. The angels were not given this privilege. The host of heaven were not given this privilege. Only humanity was offered this. Don't waste your life. There are many things that we give ourselves to in this life. When we, if we took that time and we set it on, on getting to know who Jesus is. You know, in some circles we hear, we hear a word about destiny. What is my destiny in this world? Am I destined to be a, uh, you know, famous? Am I destined to change the world in some way? Am I destined to, to be a mom? Am I destined to do this or do that? Destiny isn't about our assignments in this life. Destiny is about who you were created to be. And you were created to be with God. You were created to know him to be with him forever. So, I would like the prayer ministry team to come up because I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, Come. The prayer ministers will, will pray, will, will help you understand this, will help you walk into this relationship. If you've been a believer and you don't know this relationship, if you've, if you've just been sitting there saying, I'm saved, whew, I made it. There's so much more. He wants you to know him. And I want you to, to have someone pray for you. I'm going to pray. But when we're, we're done here, I want you to come up. If you want to know Jesus more, act on it. And a great first step is to, is to stand up with your body and say, yes, I want this. So let's pray. Prayer team, you can come up. Father, we... We can't comprehend you. You are so way beyond our ability to, to know you and everything that you are. But you've chosen to reveal yourself to us and you've created us to know you. So Father, I ask for every person in this room today, I ask that you would reveal your son Woo us. Woo each heart into that relationship that you've created us for. Draw us, Father. We want to know you. We want to know Jesus. We want to know your spirit, God. I ask you, Father, do what only you can do. 
Stir up our hearts to know you. Stir up our hearts to, to run after and embrace the very thing that we were created for. You. To know you. We thank you, God. Oh, Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be dismissed, and I really encourage you. In your seat, or come forward, just take time to say, ask God what it is. What is this thing I was made for? I do want to encourage you just to, to take to heart, obviously, the, the, the wonderful message that, that Jeff shared. And so we're going to be dismissed. And, and if you want to just spend some time there, come forward and receive prayer from us. We'd love to pray with you, for you. This is uh, the first Sunday of the month, so we, we give a benevolent offering. So the ushers are going to receive that offering. Thank you. You're dismissed. <laughs>